Eh bien bonjour, quel plaisir d'être avec vous ce matin, c'est toujours super de venir à Kansas City. <rire> eh ouais. Um, I, uh, I, I want to speak a little bit in English because uh, we are in America and last time uh, you were in Geneva, you preached, preached in English oui. and I translated in French. Oui. So I heard that your pastor just went to Paris <laughs> and he got a, um, a, a diploma in French. He speaks very good French. <laughs> so I have asked Richard Holland to come and translate me. Come, 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 come. Come, 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 come. <laughs> Alors, moi, je vais commencer à parler en français et lui va me traduire. Rick is one of the greatest guys I've ever known. <laughs> moi, moi, je trouve que le mur au fond de l'église qui est tombé, c'est super. When I visit Mission Road Bible Church, I am more encouraged than any church I've ever visited in my whole life. <laughs> non mais franchement, ce mec, il est super top, génial, je trouve. Moi, c'est vraiment un ami très très bon avec moi. And I love for all of you to come to Geneva and eat lots of croissants and chocolats with us. Let's hear it for Rick Holland! All right! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, are we having fun today? This is good. Man, you are good. Kim, would you like to come and translate too? No, okay, okay, okay. Wow. I do speak English. I'm actually Franco-American, which means I'm American and French, so it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And man, I tell you, the wall's down. This is cool. I like it. Hi. Okay, that's fun. Great. Whew, okay, now we got to get serious. So, hey, let's go ahead and pray, okay? Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much because we are so blessed. Thank you because your son, Jesus Christ, came and died for us, taking all of our sin on, a, on him, giving us his righteousness. He rose from the dead, conquered death, conquered sin. And Lord, through Jesus Christ, God made man, we are forgiven. Thank you, Lord, and thank you for the mandate you've given us to reach the world for Christ. Thank you for all of those who do that right here and those who have gone all around the world to do that job. And Lord, I pray that today you would encourage us as we consider what our part is in missions, each and every one of us. Lord, we're all in this together. We're all trying to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ until your return. So I pray you would encourage us today, motivate us, put zeal in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, I do want to thank you very, very much um, for supporting us. I mean, I said this yesterday morning at the men's group, but it's true. I mean, I just turned 60 years old. And I'll tell you, missionaries, once they turn 60, They are kind of perceived as old, okay? And it's really tough for older missionaries to raise new support. And so when support kind of gets kind of iffy, you know, we're just like out there praying. And wow, when you guys wrote us and said, we want to support you, just blew our minds. So thank you so much. Really encourages us and uh, just delighted to be part of your church family in that way. 
So this morning as I was talking to Rick about what to preach on, he said, John, I, I, I really think you need to preach. I gave him several topics on this particular sermon, and I'm delighted to do so. Here it is. Here's the title. Brethren, pray for us. And I'm really glad you asked me to preach on this because this is a selfish sermon. Okay? Selfish. And you're going to understand why. Let me just tell you a story. We've actually been on the mission field for 30 years, 10 years in Paris and 20 years in Geneva. And just as we were transitioning out of Paris and going to Geneva, we hit a major church crisis in Paris. We came out of that fine. I mean, the Lord really blessed that church, and it's still going really well, but it was a very brutal time. So we came back to the States on that furlough, and we were beat up, discouraged. I mean, just kind of wondering what on earth had just happened, questioning our return to the field, though we'd already been there 10 years. And... Um, Furloughs, we go to visit churches, and we had at the time a supporting church in Modesto, California. And so we went to visit this church. This was 20 years ago, and um, they didn't know very much about what was going on, but they said, John, could you please come and meet our pastors at 8 a.m.? We have prayer time every morning at 8 a.m. So uh, I was invited. I went there, and there were a large church that had 16 pastors in a room, and they said, come on in, we just uh, want to hear about what's going on, and we want to pray for you. It was my first time in that meeting. Um, started with a brief time of sharing, and then they asked me to kind of share briefly my story, and I told them. I told them just the big problems we had just gone through. And um, told them that the last four months had been really brutal. So they said, okay, thanks. Let's pray. I never prayed in that meeting, ever. They did. And for some strange reason, as the, mean, the, the, the men began to pray, all the focus turned on me. And they began to pray one after another and to intercede for me specifically, for our situation specifically, that God would heal us, that he would lift our burden that he would heal our church. They prayed, and then they prayed some more, and then they prayed some more. Pastor after pastor after pastor, they just prayed. And this went on for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes. It just kept going on and on and on. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And they prayed for my wounded heart and they prayed for Meg, my wife, and all the hurt that she had gone through. And they prayed that God would refresh her. Then they prayed for our children, John William and Kimberly and James by name at length. Then they prayed for our church in France and for the elders there. And for the pastor I had trained there. And then they prayed for the men that had hurt us so badly and prayed that God would grant them repentance. And they prayed and they prayed some more. And I remember at one point I got so overwhelmed by what they were doing, the way they were praying for me and for God's presence in my life. I've got cold chills thinking about it again right now. I began to weep uncontrollably and I was just crying and weeping. And they kept praying, and they kept praying, and they kept praying. 
And you know, it's funny, after 45 minutes or whatever, it's like suddenly, I mean, it was like so physical. It was like this burn that was crushing me, just like was lifted off. It's like those men, as they prayed, were basically saying, John, give us your burden. Give it to us. We, through prayer, will take your burden and bring it to the throne of God because today you don't have the power or the energy or the, maybe even the will to be able to do that. You are really hurting, so we'll do it for you. It was amazing. I've never experienced that again. In fact, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had anyone pray for you for 45 minutes straight, just for you, out loud? I've never experienced that. That was the only time. But I'll tell you, it was unbelievable. Now, um, I needed it. I really needed that. Now, that statement may surprise you. You may think, hey, wait a minute, John, you're a missionary. And missionaries, do they really need to be prayed for? I mean, really? I mean, I thought missionaries had it made. They were the giants of the faith sent out to win the world for Christ. They are autonomous ministry machines, are they not? The Rambos for Christ. They are trained. They are ordained. They are tested. They are amazing fundraisers. They are world travelers. They are evangelists. They are teachers. They are preachers. Folks, you guys are natural, you may be tempted to say. Well, folks, let me burst your bubble right now. There is nothing special about missionaries. You know what? Missionaries are people just like you, weak sinners saved by the grace of God, called by the grace of God to the impossible task of winning the world for Christ. No, my friends, missionaries are just weak sinners trying to be obedient to the Lord in the area of missions. Sure, we have a call. So we're doing the best we can to accomplish that call with all of our abilities that God has given us, carried out purely by the grace of God. And sometimes it's really cool, and sometimes it's really brutal. Just like here. Right? Okay, let me ask you a question. In your opinion, who do you think the greatest missionary of all times was. Easy, Paul. Very good. Let's just think about Paul one second. I would call Paul, or he was what I would call the perfect missionary. Here are some of his credentials. He was bicultural, Jewish and Roman, probably trilingual, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, very biblical. He actually wrote inspired scripture. That is what I call being pretty biblical. He was single and, though, and thus low cost. He was a tent maker, thus self-supported, 
hyper-motivated, a natural leader, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a church planter, a man who willingly suffered. He was unmoved, committed, dedicated, mobilized, bold, fearless, a writer, a pastor, an author. Man, the guy had it made. The guy was the ultimate missionary. And yet, and yet, can I show you one of the most amazing verses Paul wrote in the New Testament? It's amazing because however gifted he was, this short verse reveals to us that he was just a normal man who had great needs just like you and me, and he cries out that need in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Let's go there. 1 Thessalonians 5.25. And here it is. It's a hard verse to remember. It's so long, okay? Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Paul writes this. Brethren, pray for us. That's <laughs> like so cool. Why is this little verse so amazing? It is amazing because here the great apostle Paul asks his young converts to intercede on his behalf. Let's exposit the verse. Brethren. Who is he asking to pray for him? Brethren, the term generally means Christian. Here specifically, he's addressing the believers in, Thessal in the Thessalonian church. There was brethren, brothers in Christ. They had the same spiritual father. So he's simply calling upon these believers in this young church to pray for him. Second word, pray. Prosekumai. To speak or to make request to God. The most common word in the New Testament for prayer. The word embraces all that is included in the idea of prayer. Thanksgiving, requesting special things from God for oneself and for others. It's the general word for common prayer. Pray. Talk to God. Bring to him requests concerning us. Same word in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. And Ephesians 6 on general prayer. So he says, brethren, pray for us. Who's that? Will you go to the beginning of the book? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. And it's interesting, the present tense shows that this is something that wasn't just, he's not asking him to pray once, just on an ongoing basis, please pray for us. So the context of this list is very interesting. As you remember, Paul, Silas, and Timothy first went to Thessalonica on their second missionary journey in Acts 17. Let's go there just one second, okay? I want to be long, but it's interesting to get this context. Acts 17. It was actually the second place in Europe where the gospel had been preached, Philippi being the first in Acts 16. In Acts 17, 1, it says this, Now, when they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had suffered and risen again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So, this gospel had been received enthusiastically in the city, the synagogue had almost been depleted 
of Jews, so the authorities blamed Jason, a Jew who had lodged the missionaries of harboring traitors to Caesar. Jason was held as security while the missionaries left the city. They went to Berea and then to Athens. Now, when Paul gets to Athens, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to encourage the believers and to get news from them. Meanwhile, Paul travels to Corinth. I'm going fast, but don't worry, you'll get the point. Paul travels to Corinth, where Timothy returns with the good news about the church. So with this good news, Paul sits down in Corinth and writes these two epistles to the Thessalonians. Now, the question is this. He has just started this church. How old is that church? That's the question here. How old is the church in Thessalonica when he writes back to them? Well, Acts 17 tells us that Paul only spent three Sabbaths in the synagogue of Thessalonica reasoning with the Jews. So some feel he only spent three weeks there. Others feel he must have spent longer than three weeks there for different reasons. The bottom line is that church was probably less than three to six months old. So what's interesting to me, Paul just plants this church. We're just months after the planting of that church. He writes them back and he says, church, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Now, I, I stopped and thought about this. I thought, wait a minute. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't it be like a giant missionary praying for the young church? Well, that is true too. Because that's exactly what happens. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, etc. So Paul says, we are praying for you constantly, but he says to them, hey, will you guys pray for me too? So the question is, why? Why is Paul asking this young church to pray for him? Well, just read the book of Acts, and you'll see that Paul, the mighty evangelistic machine, was constantly being attacked. See, if you want to be effective for Christ, you've got to confront people. You've got to confront people with their sin and then bring in the name of Jesus Christ as the only solution to that sin, and people don't like that. And just remember, how often is Paul violently attacked for the gospel he preaches? I mean, man, you know, he knew full well Better than most that being a missionary trying to penetrate enemy territory with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is outright war with the enemy. It is outright war with Satan. I mean, Jesus said this to Peter, and also I say to you that you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Hades, hell. It's a big battle, folks. So there's the bottom line. Death and hell are the ultimate weapon of Satan to destroy us. He's on a brutal war against the church. And when we have church problems, and we will always have church problems, let's not be too surprised. It's normal. We're in a battle, in a war. That's why we're supposed to put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6. It is brutal. It is very brutal. And that's why he says, pray for us. Okay. So, what I did, I traced 
in the New Testament, all the times Paul asks for prayer. And I thought, this is really interesting. And this could become maybe a help on how to pray for your missionaries. And I know that you're kind of revamping your whole missionary you know, support system here in the church. And we, again, thank you so much for your grace toward us in that area. Well, maybe this could be a help for you. So maybe you want to jot these down. Um, I'd like to give you five prayer requests. These are the very prayer requests that the Apostle Paul asked others to pray for him for. So this is the missionary giant looking for prayer requests. Okay? So just not, note these in your Bible, and next time you pray for a missionary, you can just go through these as a help to pray. So here we go. Five of them. Number one. The number one thing, or number one, Paul asked people to pray for prospects, prospects, or opportunities. Look at with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Prospects. Look, he says, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. So he's asking the same Thessalonians, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. This is so cool. He says, pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. The word spread literally means to run, to rush forward that it would progress freely and spread rapidly. Pray, he says, that the gospel that we proclaim would run forward, would rush forward. What a great image. Seeing, imagine the gospel running, that the gospel would run. That it would be and glorified just as it did also with you. The word means to be praised or honored or exalted. Paul is in Corinth where he's having a hard time convincing them to Christ in Acts 18. They resisted him and they blasphemed against him. So he's in, he's in Corinth and he's trying to preach the gospel and there's closed doors and it's not happening the way he wants it to happen. And he's thinking back at Thessalonians, I mean, in the, the Thessalonian church, in maybe three Sabbaths the church was planted. Three weeks, so he's thinking back, he's going, man, it'd be so nice if in Corinth it could go as fast as Thessalonica. That's what he's praying for. Pray that the gospel would work here the way it worked there with you guys. Just as it did also with you. That's what the verse says. Just as it did also with you. You know, every time I come back to America, like today, you just took that wall down, you have 700 in here about, 700 seats, right? And I'm thinking, God. So I'm, okay, here, I'm going to sin just one minute. I'm coveting big time right now, okay? I'm thinking, oh, Lord, can't we have a church with 700 seats? That would be, like, so cool. We're about 160 to 200. We're, like, considered a large church in Geneva. And I'm thinking, that is really neat. Lord, praise the Lord. And I'm not into church sizes, but I'm totally into church sizes because there are more people there in church. That means the more people, hopefully, are getting saved, Correct? So I, I like big churches, and I think it's cool that you guys knocked your walk down, wall down. And I'm thinking, guys, would you just pray that we could walk, could we could break a wall down too, that we could have three times more people in our church just like you guys? That's what Paul is asking them to pray, that we would have the same beautiful privilege that you have. So just say, wow, Lord, thank you for that wall that went down 
do the same thing for them over there in Geneva or in Italy or in Genoa or all those places. And believe me, in Italy, they need it. They really need you guys to pray. I'm telling you, Genoa, Genoa is beautiful, but it is a brutal place to plant a church. You need to pray for Massimo big time. You really do. We know more Italian missionaries that have bailed because it's hard over there. Look at Colossians 4. Colossians 4. 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul's writing, keeping alert, he's writing to the church Colossae, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the word that we may be speak forth the mysteries of Christ for which I have been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. This is really cool. You know what he's asking them to pray for? Pray for open doors. Here it is. Open doors, prospects. Pray that God would just open doors so that the gospel can rush and run into those doors. Really neat, huh? 1 Corinthians 8, I'll just read this to you. 8, 8, 9. Whoops, no, that is not it at all. Okay, we'll pass on that one, okay? Well, you just pray for open doors. For example, years ago I was preaching a series on war when the Gulf Wars broke out. And uh, someone said, oh, these sermons are interesting. So they made a little book out of it. The Geneva Bible Society, a little book called Christian Reflections on War. Well, one day I get this phone call. This guy calls me up. He says, hi, I'm a military guy in the French military. And I'm based on a boat, on a big military boat down in Toulon, France, on the Riviera down there. That's where our base is. He says, will you please come and speak on the subject of war to the French Marines? I'm going, excuse me? He says, yeah, what you have said in, in, in your book about a war, just war, and all the things that the Bible says about the war, he says, the French military top brass needs to hear this. So I'm inviting you to come down. I've already checked with all my superiors. Please come and speak to the French Navy about war. I'm going, you just got to be kidding. I mean, I'm just like a little preacher here, and you're asking me to go speak to the Navy. Yes. So I did. <laughs> it's like I was the scariest day of my life. And I walked in here, and all these people, you know, brass and stuff in a church, and then there were the pro-wars, and then in France there's a lot of anti-war people. They all came. So I did my spiel, and then for the next 30 minutes, they fought it out. It was incredible. I mean, it was absolutely incredible, like a very French animated moment, you know. But what an incredible opportunity. And I, of course, preached the gospel. Just last year, this year, we have this big music ministry that we started years ago. This year, out of the, I mean, it's a long story, we were invited to take our entire Christmas concert to the United Nations in Geneva. In the big hall there, the assembly hall with a big UN logo you see on TV, we were there. We did a Christmas concert in the United Nations in Geneva. Folks, you know how often that happens? 
Never. Never. This is what we need you to pray for. And pray for those people in Italy that you know, Johnny, Massimo, that God would just open doors that will blow their minds. Two. Point number two. Pray for power. Pray for power. Colossians 4 again. Colossians 4, 3, praying in the same time for us as well that God may open to us a door for the word, and here it is, so that we may speak forth the mysteries of Christ for which I've also been in prison in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Yes, the power to be bold, the, the, the power to have the courage to be bold and not to wimp out. That's the whole idea here. Pray that the doors would be open, but pray that I would then walk in that door and speak the truth. Look at Ephesians 18. This is really interesting. I'm sorry, Ephesians 6.18. 6.18, listen to this. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. Look at it. And pray on my behalf, Paul is saying, the, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And where is Paul when he's writing this? Verse 20, in prison. You know what he's saying? Hey, folks, bad day, I'm in prison. Bad day. Good day, opportunities to preach the gospel. Bad moment, I may wimp out. But thank you for praying. If you pray, I won't wimp out, and I will preach the gospel in prison. That's what he's saying. Please pray. Please, I'm asking you, pray for us. You think, but John, you're, you're a natural evangelist. <laughs> really? I get just as scared as you do when I preach the gospel to someone. I get all tongue-tied, and I go, oh, man, what if they get offended? What if they don't like me anymore? Well, guess what? They may not. They may say, you're a religious fanatic. Well, I am, so that's not a problem. But I mean, seriously, I mean, what are we fearing? Well, we're human. I've been at this for 30 years. I get so scared. Not if you're praying for us, though. Maybe it'll go better. Seriously. See, Paul was just like you and me. I mean, if he asked them to pray for this, think about this. If he asked them to pray for this, what does that imply about Paul? He wasn't a natural either. He wasn't a natural either. I mean, he's the one who wrote Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, of the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, if he wrote that, I'm thinking... Well, maybe sometimes he was ashamed of the gospel. Okay, confession time. Have I ever been ashamed of the gospel? Absolutely. Many times I've been ashamed of the gospel. And I confess it. And I say, oh, but all these people are praying for us. Not to be ashamed of the gospel. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. You know, missionaries are just like everybody else. They can find a thousand things to do with their days and excuses for not going out and sharing the gospel. I mean, we do very important things. We do church work, administration. We disciple Christians. We socialize. We go to prayer meetings, counsel people, marry people, bury people. We work on church budgets, take time to live, deal with legal matters. Oh, and all these things are great things to do. But 
going to share Christ is a little more complicated sometimes, you know? Scary. Scary. So he says in this verse, please pray that we would be bold and that we would open our mouth. I love this, you know, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. I looked up the word mouth in the dictionary. Here it is. An external opening in the head through which most animals and all humans admit food and emit communicative sounds. So with our mouth, we eat, and then we make sounds, we talk, and we share the gospel. So next time you pray for us, would you please pray that we would use the external opening in our head that most animals have that we might emit communicative gospel sounds, okay, without fear. I'm not kidding. Please pray that for us, okay? Man, we have a Muslim guy in our church now, but he wasn't in our church. Good friend of ours. He's coming to Shepherd's Conference. And he was toying with the gospel. And uh, he came. And his friend, his good friend that actually ultimately led him to Christ, came up and said, Johnny, he really wants to hear about the gospel. So I was looking at him, and I was really scared. Because when Muslims come to Christ, it's sometimes at great cost, even in Geneva, Switzerland. So I said to this young man, I said, listen, let me tell you how to come to Christ. And I want you to think about this very carefully. I opened to Luke 14, and I said, listen, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father or mother or wife or children or brother or sister and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I said to him, Young man, if you are not ready to give up everything, your family, your life for Jesus Christ, please don't, don't come our way. Because this decision of following Jesus Christ could literally cost you your life. My friend who had brought him was right next to me. He got so mad. He said to me, John, you're discouraging the guy from becoming a Christian. <laughs> I said, no, I'm telling him the truth. That was really scary for me. I was really scared. I was thinking, man, I hope I'm doing the right thing. I'm just quoting scripture. But have you ever told that someone in their face before, before they repent? I'd never done that. I'm telling the guy, if you follow Christ, you could be dead tomorrow. Literally. Well, this guy had a glorious conversion. Now he's one of the preachers in our church. He's coming to Shepherd's Conference. If you come, you'll meet him. Meet him. So cool. And the guy that was really mad at me will be at Shepherd's Conference also. <laughs> I got to hurry up. Three. 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 Pray for protection. Protection. 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. Verse 1 and 2, finally, brethren, pray for us also that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it also. And, oh, that and in verse 2, listen, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Oh, I hate those kind of verses in a way. Oh, no, this is the bad part of the whole thing, frankly. Pray that we, would be um, that we would be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Romans 15, 30. 
Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God, etc. Protection from evil men. You see, again, just like before, this is a battle. And Satan and the demons have their people to take us down. They do. And boy, if anyone knew the difficulty of being a proclaimer of the gospel, it is Paul, right? 2 Corinthians 11. Twenty-three. Are they servants of Christ? I far more so far in my labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I've spent in the deep, etc. I mean, all the suffering the guy went through. Paul's a realist. He needs prayer. In our 30-year ministry, we've had three major crises. They seem to come about every 10 years. So every time we hit the 10-year mark, I get really nervous. We're there. Okay. But anyway, about 10 years ago, we had a, in a different church that, from which we started another church, a big, another big church blow up. And uh, it was brutal. I started having these stomach cramps, big cramps. I mean, like, ah, and I just, I was like really worried. So one day, Max says, we've got to go to the hospital. So they take me to the hospital. And uh, I mean, I'm just like in total pain. So they give me all these drugs and it's like finally soothe it. And they said, okay, we've got to do all the tests. So they gave me all the tests possible for a couple of days. And all the tests came out perfect. So the doctor, I remember very well, he came into my room. Well, before I should say that, that night, before the next day, my medicine wore off, and I was in deep cramps again, deep cramps. And I had to go to the bathroom on my knees, and I was sitting there, I was like kneeling at the toilet, throwing up, sweating like a dog, with intravenous all around me, just throwing up uncontrollably. And I remember thinking, huh, when I signed up to be a missionary, this is not what I was envisioning at all. And the next day, they finally worked all this out on me, and the doctor said, he said, you know, all your tests are fine. He said, are you just a little stressed, maybe? I said, yep. He said, it's just stress. Just stress. This is not the way I envisioned it. When we send missionaries out, it's like, wow, I'm going to be a missionary. That's brutal out there. We need to be prayed for. Prayed for. Prospects, power, protection. That God would protect us. I mean, yes, there's a battle. But God protects us. Number four. Number four. Pray for purity. Purity. Look at Hebrews 13. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of theories about that. Today, it's Paul, 
Okay? Today it's Paul because it's going to make it real easy for my sermon. Okay? So we're not 100% sure about that, but today that works okay. So let's just say it's Paul. Okay? So this is request number four, Hebrews 13, 18. If it is Paul, but even if it's not, it doesn't matter. The prayer request works. Look at this. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. That is like a really interesting prayer request. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, pray for us that I would be above reproach. I want to conduct myself honorably in all things. So you know what he's saying? Ooh, temptations are great. Temptations to sin are great. Love, life is tough out here. I am weak. I could fall into sin at any time. Brethren, pray to God that my conscience would never get accustomed to sin. And I'll tell you, man, in France, it is everywhere. Oh, it's everywhere in America, too. But there's something about the country that shed more blood for the gospel than any other country in history that experienced the French Revolution, World War I, World War II. When you see the, 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 the emptiness of Christ there, the sin sometimes just blows my mind. It does. I mean, full nudity is just everywhere all the time. And you're going, ooh, should I raise my kids in this? These are tough questions. They need Christ. So who's going to go? That's why we need people like you to pray for our purity. I think of Massimo. I think of Johnny. I think of those guys. I mean, Italy. Italy's just like France. I mean, it is just really... Bad, okay? I mean, whew. And why is it important to pray for their purity? Because missionaries are alone. They're away from home. They're in a different culture, in a different language. They have less time, probably very little accountability. They can dry up spiritually and thus be made perhaps more susceptible to sin. Churches are very small. They often live in particular pagan cultures. They're often bombarded with enormous amounts of sin daily. I mean, I've always told people that France has four humanistic gods. Sex, every beach, public swimming pool, park is topless, full nudity everywhere, it seems. Food, just downtown Paris has 13,000 restaurants. That's actually a good god, okay? <laughs> Vacation, this is, you'll like this one. Every French person by law gets a minimum of five weeks per year vacation. Suddenly, that kind of sounds pretty good too, doesn't it? But the prideful intellectualism would just blow you away. Yeah, pray, pray for our purity. Pray for the purity of the children of those missionaries. This was really scary for us. We have two boys and a girl. Wow. Pray for strong marriages. We're going to be in January. We're going to be married 35 years. Pray that the next 35 years, amen, would be even better. Even better. Not just a good marriage, a fantastic marriage. That's what we need. Number five. Number five. 
So you can pray for prospects, for power, for protection, for purity. This one will surprise you, especially since it's a prayer request from the Apostle Paul. Are you ready for this one? Pray for... Oh, you can't wait to hear it, can you? Pauses. Pauses. Romans 15. Look at this. Romans 15, 32. Verse 31. Pray that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find, listen to this, refreshing rest in your company. Paul is praying that they would, asking them to pray, that he would be able to come back to find refreshing rest in their company. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever, ever until today thought about the fact that the Apostle Paul needed a vacation? I bet you've never thought of that before, or maybe you have. That's exactly what he's saying. He says, you know, I need a break. I need a break. Philemon 22 Paul says to his friend in Colossian, at the same time also prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I shall be given to you. He's saying, look, I need to come back. I need some break, a break. If you guys pray, I'll be able to come. Hey, prepare the room. That's how much he was sure that it was going to work. He really needed a break. He did. Paul's tired. You see, when you expend yourself boldly reaching the lost, being battered by the enemy, striving to live a holy and pure life, looking for open-door opportunities, getting beaten up here and there all the time, you get tired. And especially when you're in a foreign culture, you get really tired. You get exhausted. I'll just give you one example of, of a thing that's so dumb, but I mean, it was so stressful. We were living in Paris. We were in an apartment there. And it was one of these apartments where you could hear everything all around you. And so on this particular day, all this happened on one day, there was this lady upstairs with high heels, and you could hear this all day. You could just follow her all over the apartment. No joke. And then the same day, this kid is learning the saxophone, and all he knows is one song on one of the saints. No joke. Then, the people next door had two dogs. No joke. And then, these people moved in below. They were Arabs, and they loved Arab music. No joke. We called the cops on the dogs. They did nothing. Folks, it gets so stressful out there sometimes. So, my trick to that was the envelope trick. I had a little envelope called Kidnap Meg, for real. 
know, just, you know, you know how you, know, you come overnight, you take money out, and you got a bill there? So I put it in the envelope. You know, five bucks, one buck, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, birthday gift bucks, Christmas bucks. I still have that envelope all these years later. It's called my kidnap Meg envelope. And every so often, and over there, it's pretty awful. I kidnap her. And we go do something guilt-free. Really nice. You know when your missionaries come home? That break. They need it. Now, of course, you know, missionaries come home and they want to say, no, everything's fine, everything's good, you know, because we want to show a good side to everything. But it's hard out there. It's hard out there. So those breaks are not just for fun. They really do minister to those missionaries. So there you go, folks. Five ways to pray for your missionaries. Pray for prospects. Pray for power. Pray for protection. Pray for purity. And pray for pauses that might be refreshed, not just physically, but spiritually too. Thank you so much. We're part of your adventure today. Thank you for having taken us on. Let's just go and pray. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We bless you. Lord, we're all so unworthy to receive your grace. But thank you, Lord, that you've called us to this amazing task of proclaiming the gospel, whether it's right here or whether it's across the world. And Lord, I pray right now for Massimo and his family. I pray for Johnny and his family. I pray for all those people that are in Western Europe especially because it is particularly brutal, very low fruit, a lot of work, and a lot of hardship, Lord. And I just pray that you would encourage them right this minute, give them many victories, Lord, and that this could be a way for this church body to pray for those dear friends. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.